Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here with our first Wednesday night Wars edition of Getting Over, though honestly, I don't necessarily know if you can call it a war when AEW wins every single week, but nevertheless, great wrestling every single Wednesday night, and the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, and Dave Schilling are here to break it all down for you, but before we get to that, first a reminder, if you're listening to this as a one-off podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever the hell you listen to wrestling audio, hit that subscribe button. Don't forget also, please leave us that five-star review. I saw a ton of you have already done that on Apple Podcasts, really means a lot. Don't just leave the five-star review though, write something really nice about myself and Dave. We like hearing your kind words. It boosts our ego, it lets us know that we're doing a good job. And of course, don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Also, before we get into the main event of the show, the meat of the show, which is certainly AEW and NXT, we would be remiss certainly without talking about wrestling and how it is going to be impacted, how it already has been and how it will be impacted by the coronavirus. But before we get to what's going on with WWE, what might happen with WrestleMania and AEW, you know, it's not necessarily, you don't tune into this podcast uh, to get medical advice, obviously. But for those of you out there calling it a quote unquote bad flu, it's more than that. And even if you're not worried about yourself, you catching it can pass it to others that are at higher risk. So work from home if possible. I know I will be going forward. There's no more me going into the office for the foreseeable future. Wash your hands properly and frequently, at least 20 seconds. Clean surfaces you touch in your house all the time and practice social distancing. Okay, Dr. Silver King, the hat, the uh, stethoscope is now off from around my neck. And we're going to talk pro wrestling. Uh, Dave Schilling here with me, certainly. Dave, WWE seems to be waiting uh, for state and local governments to make cancellations, maybe so that fans, if they're going to get angry about Raw or SmackDown not happening in their cities, are mad at their state potentially and not WWE itself. Did they, during your time there, is that something they were often concerned about, that even if they were going to make unpopular decisions, they just didn't want it to reflect back on them? There's no reason to have the show other than money. You know, They don't want to lose out on one of their biggest paydays of the year. It's not as big as the Saudi Arabia shows, but it's one of the biggest paydays they have every year. And by not having it, you know, it's going to tank their stock even more than it's already tanked in the last year. Um, so I get why they have not canceled it. That said, you know, it, the, the, the question of whether or not this show is going to happen is not up to Vince McMahon and WWE. It's up to the city of Tampa and the state of Florida. So we'll see what happens there. I know they're supposed to be meeting today um, to discuss how to, to proceed. But if I was, if I was them, I would, I would cancel the show. There's, there's no reason to have it. Um, absolutely no reason to have it and to risk people's health. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not of a different mindset from you in terms of what they should do. I think ultimately they should cancel the show or not necessarily cancel, but at least suspend it and postpone it to a later date. I know that's difficult especially for a WrestleMania, but you can find an arena to hold WrestleMania. And I know they like doing the stadium shows, but you can figure it out. I don't think that's what's going to happen though. Um, So, you know, late uh, Thursday night or late Wednesday night, I'm sorry, my days are all mixed up here. Right before we were taping here, a report came out from PW Insider that WWE was moving SmackDown from Detroit to the Performance Center 
in Orlando, WWE sent me a statement and basically said, well, that's not the case. We haven't come up with that decision yet. And I think, like I said earlier, I think they're just waiting for kind of Detroit or Michigan to say, well, you're not holding your event here, so you have no other, no other choice. Um, you know, I think WWE, they have Stone Cold Steve Austin coming into Raw on Monday. They want that to be in front of fans. And if whatever state that event is going to be in doesn't force them to cancel, I think they're going to hold that show. However, past Monday, ultimately, I don't think you're going to see WWE events in front of fans. They're in a very unique situation to have not just the performance center, but also full sale. It's being, it was being used this week, but I believe it gets freed up again next week um, at their disposal. That is a something that a lot of leagues, you know, the NBA doesn't have their own arena um, that they can, you know, just utilize for that. Also, WWE really travels together for the most part as two groups, as opposed to, you know, 30 NBA teams all traveling separately, interacting with different people in different cities. So if these wrestlers are healthy and they feel like they can contain this, I wouldn't be surprised if we see TakeOver and WrestleMania, plus every Raw and SmackDown we're expecting to see at some combination of Full Sail and the Performance Center from now through the end of WrestleMania. I'm not saying that's definitely what's going to happen. I think they could take like a Hall of Fame and push that to SummerSlam weekend, um, you know, move some other things around, certainly completely cancel access and any of those things that are happening. But I think WWE, it's it's so different than other sports because sports obviously are, there's games that are played and the outcomes are not predetermined. WWE is a live scripted television show. And they would have to either they would basically have to go off the air if they can't get these guys to wrestle in a ring. And I don't think WWE is going to take a month off of TV. I just don't see how that's going to happen. Yeah, they won't, but they should, because, again, that would give everyone a month to heal, to take care of themselves, right. and not get sick. But that's, you know, not going to happen. Uh, the only reason why the NBA canceled or postponed the remainder of their season is because one of their big stars got sick. Right. If tomorrow Seth Rollins says I have coronavirus, they're gonna have to right. shut it down. That said, if Seth Rollins contracts coronavirus, don't be surprised if you never find out. That that I also agree with. Now, you know, to to be clear with everyone, this is not certainly just limited to WWE as of today. And again, everything can change between us taping the show and us publishing it. But even AEW owner Tony Khan, I guess he said after Dynamite, according to Dave Meltzer. Um, they're planning to go on with shows uh, if they're not um, in arenas full of people. They're still planning to do them. But talent, uh, there's no forcing talent to fly to tapings. It will not affect their push or their spot with the company. So, you know, he is saying, hey, look, everyone gets to make their own personal decision. Uh, but, you know, as of right now, we're still going on with our show. So this is wrestling. I mean, you know, we talk about the difference between sports and entertainment and sports entertainment, if you even like using that term. Um, you know, the show must go on is, is their carny nature and culture long term. So it's going to be interesting to see how wrestling responds to this versus the NBA, uh, the NCAA and some other major sports leagues. I'm very curious to see how this all pans out. Um, but with that, uh, we will step away from coronavirus and get into the main event. And I want to start, Dave, with. You know, AEW is almost kind of entering their second season. I know they do it by year, really. But the way I look at things, they came out of revolution. Certainly a lot of storylines ended. Others progressed in different ways. But they're adding three new significant pieces of talent to their roster in Lance Archer, Matt Hardy, you know, seemingly, and Brody Lee, who has apparently signed with the company as well. So I'm really curious to see what your thoughts are on how 
they are go- seemingly going to introduce these three men. Obviously, on Wednesday night, we had Lance Archer come out with Jake Roberts. That was seemingly yeah, – everyone expected that to happen is really what I'm trying to say. Um, Matt Hardy, the free the delete vignettes. You know, there's a lot of teases with the Dark Order. Ultimately, I think that's a complete swerve. And then you have Brody Lee, who we haven't heard anything about. I happen to think he's ultimately going to be the exalted one. So do you think the utilization and introduction – of these three guys is the right way, or should AEW even have struck a little hotter with Lance Archer interfering in something, Matt Hardy making his debut on TV, um, and not delayed potentially the introduction of Brody Lee to this degree? No, I, I don't. I don't think there's any anything that they've done particularly wrong with any of these people. Um, you know, uh, there's they're building to specific show uh, to the cage match, and uh, you know, I think they they they're going to try to focus on that and, and adding new characters and, and new, new rivalries and whatnot um, is good, but it would distract from what they're trying to build to. So you, you try to have these things happen in the background while you're focusing on the things that are the most important. Otherwise then it just gets confusing for the audience. You're not necessarily, um, you know, promoting or or pushing the things you need to be pushing in, uh, uh, to the degree they need to be pushed. So I think that this is this is the right choice is to is to you know sort of ease these characters like Lance Archer into the show without shoving them down your throat right away. So I'm with you on that. The Lance Archer stuff I enjoy certainly giving Jake Roberts the opportunity to cut the promo he did on his own last week um, was was made him notable and serious as a challenger to Cody, even though you didn't know it was going to be Lance Archer, but pretty much everyone did. I am loving what they're doing with Matt Hardy because Matt himself, he was doing the free the delete series as this non WWE, but I'm still employed by them entity, not really mentioning everyone else, but kind of hinting at it. And then the bucks just show up last week. And then this week, obviously they're there for the entire episode. And it's clear that that's the direction he's going, but they're not allowing it to infiltrate TV. Maybe because Hey, look, AEW may not have known for sure 100% that he was going to sign with them and and, or maybe there's some type of no compete clause that we don't necessarily know about. It's clearly not the 90 day that everyone else has, but maybe it's something in between, you know, 30 day or two weeks or something like that. The exalted one, though, Dave, that's something that I'm not necessarily loving, primarily because they have been overly pushing the tease that it's Matt Hardy, which clearly says to me as a fan, it's not Matt Hardy. And the only other person I can think of that it would be then is Brody Lee. So it's almost letting the cat out of the bag. And I'm not against, quote unquote, ruining surprises. But man, do I really prefer to be shocked when it's possible. Well, you're you're d- disappointing yourself before you even have a reason to be disappointed. So I, I think fair. that That's maybe fair. you should just wait and see what happens. Instead of like, well, I know this is going to be shit. And uh, here's why. Like, well, okay, we'll, we'll see. So that's we'll see, fair. Man. That's fair. But I'm not saying it's going to be shit. It's just I just love being surprised with wrestling. Like, like I understand when, when the one, two, three kid beats Razor Ramon on Raw, and you're just like sitting there, like, what the hell? I can't believe they just did that. Those are the yeah. moments to me that make wrestling wrestling. So I I like surprises too. But you know, I think one thing to remember is you're not eight anymore. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's hard to surprise someone. When they've been watching wrestling for thirty years, there's only so many things you can come up with, and I can, and I have experience with this because, you know, I wrote for WWE and we had to come up with ways to excite and entertain people, and 
most of the time it's like, well, we did that once. We did that before. We've done that. It's right. everything has been done. So if if the if if the reveal of who's leading the dark order is lame, then it'll be lame. And it's it'll be too bad. But the whole thing has been kind of lame from the get-go. Yeah. And uh I if it's disappointing, it's just another Another uh, lame thing on top of a big lame lame Sunday. I will say that from the year end um, dynamite, where it was the lamest end to a show with the Dark Order attacking the Elite and all those guys, that was as lame as it could be. I thought the group was dead in the water. You know, AEW's given up on the Nightmare uh, Collective and they've given up on some other things, but they're keeping this going. They believe in this, and to be fair, I think they have rehabilitated it to a pretty decent degree. So with the vignettes and the join the Dark Order. You know, that does get me a little bit more interested in it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm curious to see if this Exalted One thing really pays off in a significant way. Uh, one other thing I want to talk about that is kind of a crossover between AEW and, and NXT is, look, we love wrestling actually in the ring and, and, you know, interviews done in front of crowds and even backstage. But what I love, Dave, is when wrestling happens and wrestling doesn't actually mean fighting, but, you know, wrestling activities happen beyond the arena and beyond the ring. And we saw examples of this um, from both AEW and NXT this week. Starting with AEW, the inner circle destroying Nick Jackson under that garage door. We also have seen over the past few weeks from them multiple fights in concession areas and parking lots. And I think what AEW is accomplishing that WWE forgot was important is that this is realism. It feels more legitimate and hard-hitting and not you know, choreographed as in-ring moves do. And I think when you have a company like AEW where the Bucks certainly get criticized for overly choreographing tag matches like with, with the Lucha Bros, for example, um, to have some of these more realistic moments, I think is what is setting them apart from WWE the same way that the NWO set WCW apart from WWE. Yeah, yeah. Well, it feels like a throwback, you know, to to the history of, of professional wrestling to have those, those moments, you know, there, there are all kinds of, um, you know, uh, incidents where street fights happen or, um, you know, concession stand brawls happen in, in companies, you know, like in Memphis or in WWE in the attitude era and that kind of thing. So the fact that WWE stopped doing it meant that there was a lane to do, Things that felt a little bit more spontaneous, um, and I'm glad that they're doing it. It's it's <laughs> we've been begging for an alternative for a long time, and we finally got one, and it's great. They're certainly providing that, and you know we talk about all the time. Also, NXT is an in-house alternative to WWE, and to me, NXT is more different from WWE than even AEW. Is AEW has a lot of similar qualities in terms of production and talent, and the way they do promos and things in the ring. Um, but when I watched NXT this week, I saw some things that they haven't done in quite a while. They had Ra- Raul Mendoza, who to this point has been a nothing character, get abducted in a parking lot by a bunch of guys wearing luchador masks. Really curious to see where that's going to go. But they ended NXT on Wednesday night with something completely unexpected. I thought that tag team title match was going to end the show. I-, I believe a lot of fans thought that as well. But they basically gave us a surprise false count anywhere type of match between Johnny Gargano and Tomasa Ciampa. And if you asked me a week or two ago and you said, Hey Adam, how excited are you for this feud 
to be rehashed to take over Tampa Bay, again, assuming that happens, I would have said, you know what, not really that exciting because we had the feud. Obviously, injury uh, ruined it. It forced it not to get the finish that we all expected. Um, But they completely reignited my energy and enthusiasm. I thought the brawl throughout the performance center, Dave, things happening in the foreground and background like it was regular old run-of-the-mill business. I think Tegan Knox was getting like attended to in the training room. Kushida was walking by. Like cool stuff was happening. And then they do the spot from that perch um, the onto the NXT announce table below to end the show that was just outstanding, well-executed. Um, it didn't take you out of the way WWE might where they overly try to set something up and then execute it. It made sense the way they removed the barriers and then actually hit that move. Um, you know, I, I thought it was one of the best things NXT has done in quite some time. I was wondering if it hit you the same way. Uh, you know, I, th- I think I think it was very cool, and, and I'm glad they're doing stuff like this. It does seem to me like they're trying to meet the challenge. It does feel a little bit like, oh, AEW is very successful doing a, a wilder product, right? Having... Um, you know, uh, a lot of angles and and wackiness, um, I, and people are, are are digging that. And and for the longest time, NXT was very much just like the wrestling show. This is a show that has wrestling; it's real wrestling. And you know, finally, I think they're starting to get the hint that that's not going to work. If they're going head to head with AEW, they're not going to be able to just put on two hours of pro wrestling. And get people to tune in. They can't hotshot a, a world title match every week and hope people are gonna gonna get excited. They're gonna have to have stories. They're gonna have to have wild moments. They're gonna have to have, like you said, surprises. <laughs> so this is this is clearly a, a reaction to the fact that they're getting their asses kicked every week. Well, it was interesting that we saw the triple power bomb to end AEW Dynamite last week off the stage into the table, and then we saw this. Um, I'm forgetting what move Champa actually used, but we saw this into a table from the perch one week later. It did also remind me of the Asuka Nikki Cross like street fight that they had on NXT about, I guess it was two years ago, maybe three years ago at this point, um, that ended the show with one of the best moments ever, those two going through a table. And it was it harkened me back to like truly what NXT was like in its prime, where it had the greediness, it had the great wrestling. Um, and just I don't think we're gonna have another opportunity to say it during the show, but Total shout out to like the Performance Center and the WWE crew. They made that look like a legitimate TV venue for, you know, a very, very small area. I've been to that Performance Center multiple times. It is not nearly as big as that Full Sail Arena. And that alone is way smaller than a regular arena where AEW and and WWE run. So uh, credit the fans and credit the production for making that look like a legitimate venue on Wednesday night. I thought that was great. I want to finish up the main event here. Uh, NXT. There seems to be something off to me about this Rhea Ripley, Charlotte Flair feud. Uh, Dave, you know, I don't know what like the book on her was while you were with WWE. I know she is certainly heavily pushed all the time and both because she's talented and her name has significant value. But where her father like made his mark truly on promos, Charlotte comes off to me very mechanical. She seems to stop talking every couple of words to try to give them additional impact where her father flowed freely and just, you know, was talented. And the reason I dislike it so much is because she seems to be capable on the microphone. So I'm kind of wondering 
you know, what your thoughts were. I don't know if you ever worked with her in particular um, or, or the women's division. I'm not sure what exactly you did from a writing standpoint, but um, did you find any of that when you were working with her uh, segments or, or other writers were? Oh yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't work with her um, directly at all. But um, I meant storylines more so. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So, no, well, yeah. I mean, so a lot of that was happening above us because she was involved in the main event um, program with with um, with Becky and and Rhonda. Right. But um, from my personal perspective, the problem with her is that she had to take a class to learn how to cut a promo. You know who never had to take a class to learn how to cut a promo? Ric Flair. <laughs> didn't they were they didn't have classes for how to cut promos in pro wrestling back then. So that's so fair, when, but that's fair, but didn't she take that class from Dusty Rhodes? I mean, who better? You know what I mean? Sure. Yes, I understand w- what you're saying that Dusty Rhodes was was great at his job. The point is when you take a class, you are learning a formula for how to do something, right? It's like if I took a class on screenwriting, I've learned here are the ways in which to cut and to write a screenplay. I, there needs to be uh, three acts. There needs to be, uh, you know, you need to establish your characters in the first act. There needs to be jeopardy in the second act. And you need to wrap it up in the third act. These are the sort of expectations of what a screenplay is supposed to be. Eventually, you know, you do it long enough and maybe you're, you feel free, you, you, you're successful enough, you feel free to do as you please. Well, what if you take a class on how to uh, write a screenplay and then you are told to do it that way every single time by the one person who can give you work? Then you're only going to do it that way. If Vince McMahon, you know, the, the things that you learned in that class that I, that, that I gave you mm-hmm. are the things that I want you to do, then you're going to do that. So you can only blame her so much if, if she is in this system that is designed to produce a specific kind of performance, and then that performance is the one they want from her. She's only the actor. The director, Vince McMahon, is the one that's telling her to do these things and says that they're good. If you think they're bad as a, as a viewer, as a fan, that's one thing. But if he thinks it's working, then he's going to tell her to keep doing it. So she exists in a system, whereas her father, Ric Flair, he grew up in, that, in the wrestling business doing as he pleased as long as he drew money. Right. Yeah, I mean, I look at it from the fact of Ric Flair is her father, you know, and even though Vince can tell her to do this this way or that that way, performers and Becky is a great example of one of them, Becky Lynch, they still have the ability to take it upon themselves to do things that are not against script. I'm not telling her to go big cast here and go kick a, a little person, you know, more than once against Vince McMahon's orders. But I do think that you can get yourself over and, and figure out a style for yourself. Um, regardless of what you were taught, especially especially when your father is Ric Flair. So it's just strange. I like her as a wrestler. I think she is clearly one of the most talented women, not just in WWE, but in the business altogether. Charlotte Flair is absolutely great at what she does. It's just there seems to be a natural, um, a, a, a natural momentum missing from her, to, for lack of a better term. 
that I think she has because she's clearly athletically gifted. She's clearly smart and able to cut a promo. It's just the way that they come across to me seem very mechanical. And I, I, I know that she is capable of doing better and her, her bloodline is capable of doing better. But I think it's, that's part of what makes this feud weird for me. The other is that it just feels like a way for WWE to force her into a title match at WrestleMania without her having to face Becky Lynch because they're both on Raw and because they knew fans would groan at the possibility of seeing that match again, even though, candidly, we haven't really gotten it for much of the last year. So that's one thing. And then the other thing for me is Rhea Ripley, who I think is maybe the hottest young talent in terms of a female wrestler in any company. I think she has the highest ceiling out of anyone. But I think she may be a little bit green to be put into this WrestleMania position. I'm wondering if you agree with that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not going to be a long match. I think it's probably going to be 10 minutes, uh, maybe 15. Um, that's, that's a regular TV match. Um, if it happens again, I have to qualify everything here with, if this actually takes place, um, I think she'll, it'll be fine. Charlotte will carry her. Um, you know, Charlotte's the heel anyway, so she's going to be leading the charge, leading the, leading the match. Um, I think it'll be okay. I think the problem is her, the character isn't really 100% there. They've they've pushed her into this position before she was ready. I agree with you on that. Um, and they've done it because they don't have anybody else. That's, that's, that's just a fact. They don't have enough. They have the best women's division in the world. And they don't have enough top-level talents to work with the ones that they do have. And so they're they're constantly like digging through the 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 toy chest to find the right dance partners for their top level talent. Yeah, I, I think if WWE, you, you see that with no, go ahead. I'm sorry. You see that with Shayna Baszler. Shayna Baszler is not ready for this. They 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 pushed they hot shotted her into this this position before she was ready. And and you're seeing the the problems with that on television. You're seeing the problems with. Rhea Ripley on television and it's just it's until they they get better at creating these these characters in the women's division it's going to continue to be a problem what I think WWE has is when you combine Raw Smackdown and NXT I think they have the best women's division and us clearly in professional wrestling but they probably have enough to have the two best women's divisions in professional wrestling but I think because it's spread out over three shows um it, it is suffering from a lack of high end depth They have enough women. They have enough talented women that people want to see on television. But I think a lot of them that are currently on Raw and SmackDown right now, not I I don't mean this necessarily in a derogatory way at all, but I I don't necessarily want to say they're they're holdovers from like the Divas era, but there are better women in NXT who, if they were on the main roster, would have more compelling storylines and matches with the top women on Raw. Just as in its singular example, if Bianca Belair was on SmackDown, and ended up feuding with Bailey or Sasha Banks for a title match at WrestleMania, that would be better than whoever Bailey would face potentially one-on-one on that brand with the exception of Sasha Banks. So I think if you did take those top five women in NXT and sprinkled them two on SmackDown and three on Raw and you, and you move some things around, all of a sudden I think you have a really dynamic, interesting women's division. The problem is you have... Io Shirai, who's injured. You have Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley and a lot of these other women still in NXT where they are main roster caliber from a talent perspective, 
But I guess WWE feels that they already have so many women on both brands that they don't need a massive call up the way they did when the four horsewomen initially went to the main roster. What they need, quite frankly, is to not do a, a call up. They need to switch people. They need to do some sort of women's only draft or something and move some of these these main roster, quote unquote, performers back to NXT. Sarah Logan, for instance, needs to go back. I mean, God bless her. She's she's a talented person. Um, the fact that she is is in WWE says that she has talent. Anybody who's in WWE has talent uh, as a professional wrestler, but she has no character. She can't cut a promo. She right. needs to go. She needs to go back. If you switch her with Bianca Belair, then Bianca Belair can get over uh, on SmackDown. But the fact that they had Sarah Logan in the elimination chamber match is right. ridiculous because not because she's bad, but because she doesn't have a character. No, no one cares. She's not over. So yeah, send no, her back. You're hundred percent right. And like, I, and I love it. I actually really like Natalia. I think she doesn't get the credit she deserves long-term, but she needs to be in that veteran role. She does not need to be in every major like elimination chamber match or always getting a tag team title opportunity. There's rumors that, her and Beth Phoenix are going to be part of this like triple threat women's tag team match at WrestleMania. You don't need that. Beth Phoenix is an announcer. She should still be selling the, the RKO she took from Randy Orton. That does not need to happen. Uh, but you, you make a really good point because like the Iconics, to me, are a great example. It didn't really work on the main roster. They're not necessarily in-ring talented enough to work on the main roster. Send them back to NXT where they were a hot act, where they would be a hot act again. Uh, you, could pr- you could push them into even a women's title picture because you would have two women helping one of them get over as champion. You know, you, you have a reason where they can get title opportunities, if not actually winning the NXT championship. So I do think you're right. A shift of the women um, throughout WWE's three brands is definitely necessary. And maybe that's something that we'll see once WrestleMania season comes to an end. You know, we don't know if they're going to do a draft or a superstar shakeup, but, you know, as long as they do it for real and don't give us that fake BS draft they did um, in October that was so corny with like people with fate, pa- uh, painted faces in war rooms for Fox and USA. As long as they do something real and they do trades or they do some type of legitimate shakeup, I do think the women's division should be a focus of that. You're completely right. All right, let's move on to the fastest 15 minutes in professional wrestling. Five topics, three minutes each, Dave. Uh, I, I, I kind of wanted to talk about the inner circle a little bit because We haven't done that, certainly on this show. This is the first time we've done an AEW NXT show. But what really rings home for me with the inner circle is that they are not only building a good faction, but they are doing it in the exact proper way. They have the clear veteran leader in Chris Jericho. They have, whether you call him the heir apparent or the young, talented guy who will eventually be in that world championship picture in Sammy Guevara, they have the extremely strong tag team um, in Ortiz and Santana, and then they have Jake Hager, the muscle. I mean, that you have a five-person group. That is exactly how you build a faction. I'm wondering if the inner circle is hitting and pulling those same heartstrings for you that it is for me. No, it's 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 um pretty textbook pro wrestling, and that's that's what I like about the booking for AEW is they're not trying to reinvent the wheel from a storytelling perspective because what's the point? You you can't. That's why I, I said what I said about you're not eight anymore. You can't be surprised. Is you know, once you've seen the the magician's tricks, you can enjoy the mechanics of the trick 
but you're never going to have the, in, the same reaction you had to the first time you saw it. Um, and that's how I feel about pro wrestling. You know, the, the, they've been doing factions of this nature forever since the four horsemen, you know, um, and there have been variations on that theme for for uh, for decades. And this is just a well done one that some thought and care went into it. They don't all look the same. They don't all act the same, talk the same. And that's OK. You know, the four horsemen were kind of a uh, cohesive look and cohesive Hom- unit. Very homogenous. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And that's great. The NWO, they all had to wear the same T-shirt. So (laughs) there was that aspect of it um, where they were all kind of the same evolution, all kind of the same. This is more like, you know, to me, the the corporation in the in the attitude era where it's a collection of people all kind of working for this for the same goal, but they're not the same type of person. And I think that's great. You know, Santana Ortiz uh, with um, Jericho and Sammy and Jake Hager, they all look very different. They all have different, different gimmicks and different characters. uh, And they're all different levels of kind of uh, serious or funny at any given time, but they all work. They, they work together somehow. And it's great. I, I, I love it. I love AEW. And I think that because they are not trying to be too clever with their booking, it's successful. I do like that specifically Santana and Ortiz are allowed to be Santana and Ortiz within the group. You know, that they are able to still like wear the Puerto Rican flag and keep their hair long. And they're just because they're in a inner circle, quote unquote, group helmed by uh, group helmed by Chris Jericho. They didn't have to, like you said, wear the shirts or trim their hair or do anything like that. They're allowed to be themselves. And I think that is what's really important. You're right. Everyone looks different, but they are together and you trust them as a cohesive unit because they have that singular goal in mind that they trust that Chris Jericho is going to lead them to greater success, tag team titles and, and so on and so forth. I also like that they're allowing the inner circle to be dominant. Like they, they're two weeks in a row. They ended dynamite on top and in WWE on the rare occasions these days that you get a faction or a group. It's very rare that you get multiple weeks in a row where they are completely dominating the other parties where, you know, Hey, one week, yeah, Rollins and his disciples, they're going to come out on top, but the next Owens is going to end that show with a stunner and he's going to raise his hands and, and the fans are going to go home happy. I like that the inner circle are legitimate heels. And even though the fans cheer for Chris Jericho, they boo them as a group. I, it, it's very good booking. The fans are doing a really good job allowing that to happen. The other thing I, I kind of like about AEW, and it's what I liked about WWE back in the Attitude Era, is they're getting into the NJPW style Faction Warfare, Dave. They have the Elite. They certainly have the Inner Circle and the Dark Order, Death Triangle starting. I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say Butcher, Bunny, and Blade as a group because, you know, it's more like a manager tag team situation. But but I guess my point is that there is the possibility that over, you know, the next few months to a year, there may well be four or five factions in AEW going at it. And for me, that excites me as a wrestling. Easier storytelling. You know, you you people can go back and forth and and turn on each other or or join other groups, and it just makes life easier f- for the, the writer. It makes the the fans um, you have something to sink their teeth into when you have just a collection of individual characters without any any goals or ambitions besides I want to be the champion, brother then it gets really it gets it's it's tedious to watch and when i when i think about tedious i think about wwe 
and and how they they have just haven't found a way to um or 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 are not allowed to find a way to have have factions and have have groups you know undisputed era is wonderful in the next but man there's it's like <laughs> it's them and nobody else seems uh you know <laughs> motivated to start right. a group so okay <laughs> every war games is the undisputed era versus four random people I completely agree. And in fact, I actually don't think under, despite me loving Undisputed Era because I like all four guys in it. And I really like Adam Cole as well as a leader. They don't have that Jake Hager piece. They have the tag team. They have the talented wrestler in Roddy. They have the leader and the champion in Cole, but they don't have that other guy. And I've been begging them for a year plus to take Dijakovic, whose gimmick sucks and whose name sucks because they took his real name and extended it for some reason. But make him the muscle of this group. Give these guys a legitimate badass, you know, heavy and allow them to run roughshod through NXT and then eventually onto the main roster. But yeah, you're right. Like I have this thing. People who listen to our prior podcast um, know it. I only believe a faction is four or more people. Like I don't think the New Day is a faction. That to me is a group. Right. So uh, what Seth Rollins is doing right now, it is almost there. Like. You, you're, the, the taste of it is there, but they're still missing that one or two additional pieces to really be a faction. And if they are one, and if Seth Rollins is a multi-time WWE slash Universal Champion, I want him to dominate Raw. I want that group to really kick the crap out of some people, not just go back and forth with a random compilation of Kevin Owens and and or Samoa Joe and or the Viking Raiders and or the Street Profits. And I think that is where... AEW is really setting itself apart that they're not just doing factions, but they're doing them right. Uh, moving over to NXT, you know, it, I think it was made pretty clear last night that Velveteen Dream is going to be the number one contender for Adam Cole's NXT title. My assumption is they have some type of qualifying match in the coming weeks or uh, William Regal either does that or makes some proclamation. But while I like Dream and while I certainly have said on numerous occasions, I think he's a future WWE champion on the main roster in a couple of years, even uh, three, four five years. I just feel like this is a little bit rushed. He just came back from injury. Yeah, he had the feud with Roddy Strong, but I don't necessarily think they have done enough to make him truly main event caliber. And that's even considering the fact that he had a title match that was very good with Tommaso Ciampa a few months ago at a takeover. I don't necessarily know who would have been a better choice, Dave, but do you think that there is someone else in NXT who could have been that number one contender for Cole's title Instead of Dream, or are you pretty pleased with him seemingly getting that opportunity? I I can't think of a, a single person in that on that show that would be better. I there's there's nobody who is as popular. There is nobody who is as talented at at um, cutting promos uh, who has as much potential. There, there, nobody should be beating Adam Cole if, if it's not Velveteen Dream. I don't I don't see the point. Um, you know, Gargano doesn't doesn't excite me in that spot you know finn balor is a heel so that doesn't make any sense uh also his character feels dead as a doornail um yeah if you want to excite the fan base if you want to try and get people to tune into the show on wednesdays you need to put the title on the person who has the most potential and has has the, has the best opportunity to represent the brand to the audience um with with some some youth and some flavor and some excitement. So yeah, there's nobody else 
Uh, Adam Cole should be losing the title as soon as possible because that's part of why the show feels stale to me. Yeah, he certainly had the title for too long and he just doesn't need it. Adam Cole and the Undisputed Era don't need the titles to be over. And truthfully, honestly, they've dominated NXT for so long. It really feels like they are made to go to the main roster again with some muscle and kind of take that. For me, it's, you know, I love Dream, like I said. Um, If they want to make a true sea change in NXT after WrestleMania season, have him take the title and jettison Undisputed Era out, then I guess I can buy into that and align with you. For me, I think coming out of Survivor Series and the Royal Rumble, Keith Lee was getting so much um, face time on main roster television, and he was so impressive, and he got great reactions from Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. And if you're talking about anyone who's going to try to put you over, Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar being guys to do that certainly means something. So I really think they should have taken that tidal wave of momentum and, you know, not put him in the North American title picture, but allowed him to fight and claw his way to a shot with Adam Cole for the NXT title. So I probably would have gone with Keith Lee. He's impressive. He's older. So his window of being able to do the things that he does for a man that's 350 pounds and like six, seven, or I don't even know how big he is. Uh, but for a, a man who's basically an NFL defensive lineman size uh, to be able to do those things, he can't do those for another 10 years. So I kind of would have struck with while the iron was hot with Keith Lee. And you could even do a Keith Lee Velveteen dream feud in six months to take the title off. him. that's the direction I would have gone. Uh, the thing, another thing I'm loving about AEW besides the factions, Dave, is they're doing a really good job, in my opinion, keeping wrestlers involved whether in storylines or not, when they're not booked in matches or not scheduled for the show. And I thought this week we had two really good examples. Britt Baker, we've seen over the last few weeks, uh, turn into this new kill persona. And whether or not you think she's doing a great job with the promos themselves, I I at least like that they're trying something different with her, where her normal act did not work in the ring. And then they had the John Moxley sit-down interview with Jim Ross. They didn't have a segment for him on TV, but they made sure the champion still got on the show and still got a chance to cut a good promo with a veteran in Jim Ross. You know, do you think that is something that whether it's WWE or NXT fails to do enough of, uh, or do you think it's just kind of AEW was more successful in achieving it? Well, I mean, they allow everybody to get over. So by having everybody be over and there be multiple characters who can carry a, a television show, you don't have to have the same people on every week. You also don't have to fill three hours like they do on raw. Or you, if you don't, if you don't have Seth Rollins one week, that's like forty minutes of the show that's down the drain. So yeah, they have to. They AEW does a better job at this because if Chris Jericho's not on the show, you can have John Moxley on the show. If John Moxley's not on the show, you can have um, you know uh, Cody. There's there's enough people that are draws to the fan base that you don't have to have everybody on the show all the time. And thank God for that. You know, there's a lot of people who keep saying, hey, the X person should leave WWE and go to AEW. X person should leave. This Y person should leave. Man, they got to get Cedric Alexander out. Man, Ricochet has to go over there. Is it just me, Dave? Or do you feel like their roster is really solid from a male singles and tag team perspective? The women's roster needs work. But but from a male singles perspective and tag team perspective, I don't think they need a massive addition of talent, nor do I think that AEW needs to bring over every WWE outcast, even though seemingly, you know, they're about to add two more. Um, you know, do you, are you with me? Well, I like seeing new different faces. I don't need to, you know, go see Rowan leave WWE and show up on AEW next week. 
they, they've been very good about only hiring people that fit with that roster that they need. Um, they have not, they, they didn't go get Ryback, for instance. Nobody's trying to beat down his door to sign him. There's, there's, they don't need a guy like that. Uh, do they need a, a big kind of, uh, you know, tall athletic guy like, like a, like, um, Brody Lee? Absolutely. Yeah. But do they need, you know, uh, the Ascension? No. So they, they, they've been, they've been smart about who they brought in and who they haven't. Matt Hardy is a great signing because he's a veteran. He's a big name and he's someone who can transition into being a producer, uh, down the line. See, I think that's the, the addition of Hardy. Yes, in ring, but he can't really go as much as he used to. It's really the creative side. It's the back end. Them getting Hardy, I think, is going to help them massively uh, just overall in creative and with production, like you said, his experience. I mean, WWE was basically training him to be a producer over the last year. And the fact that he's now going to take that knowledge and go over to AEW, I think, is extremely interesting. We've praised AEW a lot. Only a couple minutes here left on the fastest 15 minutes in professional wrestling. We've praised AEW a lot. It's our first show talking about them, you know, extensively. Dave, what is disappointing you most in AEW right now? Uh, just the women, you know. It, again, there's just not enough depth to that. I think in general with with women's wrestling, there's not enough depth for all of the promotions and all of the shows. Um, if you combined a couple of these different promotions from from ring of honor to impact to nwa uh wwe and, and aew you have maybe two really strong rosters maybe three but when you've got essentially six or seven <laughs> there's just there's not enough depth um for it to really work and aew's women's division is still pretty grim for the most part um there's not a lot of characters um, there's not a lot of, you know, story right now. Um, they made the right choice putting Nyla Rose uh, in the championship slot. Um, but there's, there's not really anybody there who I'm excited about. Uh, I think Chris Statlander's gimmick is awful. And I know people are going to say, well, you just don't, you don't know. It's supposed to be fun. Oh, she's a, she's an alien. It's you're supposed to be having a good time. Why are you such a grump? It's like, because it's just a gimmick. You can't get over if you're just I'm a I'm a wrestling alien. Okay, you're o- sort of over in this in the way that the oddities were over in the, in <laughs> the Attitude Era. The oddities were not. Oh, yeah, no. Well, no, their entrance was. Their entrance was, yes. Yeah, people thought it was it was amusing for a second. Too yeah. cool is a great example. Okay. Of this, too cool was over because they did the dance and they had a big old fat guy. <laughs> as, their, as their partner you know right. oh it's it's fun to watch the fat man dance is essentially what people were saying but when you, you turn rikishi heel and it's just it's just too cool by themselves all it is is one move it's it's right. the worm and that's it and and chris Statlander's gimmick is oh, i'm an alien great and what else why should well, i care well that's i don't fun- that's the funny thing. AEW has a great example of it working and not working on their own roster. Chris Statlander as an alien, it's ridiculous. She treats it as real and it's not even well done. It's just a bad gimmick top to bottom. But then you look at Luchasaurus and it works. You know why? Because they're not pl- they're playing it like he is a dinosaur, but he doesn't play it up every single time he talks. He'll, he'll throw something funny in. 
oh man, they've been keeping my people down for 65 million years. You know, it's, it's tongue in cheek. Whereas she is trying to actually be an alien and it's not good. It doesn't look good. And, you know, she came in with a lot of hype that she was going to change that women's division. And they had the opportunity if they wanted to go with her to do it. And they chose not to. They chose to put the title on Nyla Rose. I agree with you. That was the right decision. Mostly because whoever beats her is going to be over as all hell by beating her. But initially putting the title on Rio, the title being a, a toy title, very small and tiny, which maybe worked for her, but doesn't work for any of the other women on the entire roster. And you're, to your point, they are lacking any depth whatsoever on that women's roster. Britt Baker did not pan out the way they expected her to when they signed her. And, and people were really excited about that. Um, I think there are women's divisions, like you said, for other organizations, Impact being one of them, that is better top to bottom than AEW's. So you can't tell me you're serious about women's wrestling and put on women's wrestling like that and with so few actual storylines. But besides that, what's disappointing me most in AEW is the production. I'm not saying that it's not good. The camera looks great. Um, you know, there are a lot of positives in terms of the, the fireworks, the pyro, um, but the entrance music for, for half the talent is crap. In my opinion, um, the camera angles many times are, they're missing things like the way WWE does that they don't need to. I don't need to see crowd shots in AEW. I see them behind the ring. And more importantly, they cut away from segments far too often. Uh, they also don't turn the mics on early enough for segments. They they need to work on their tr transitions from in-ring to backstage interview and so on because fans are missing the beginnings or ends of many of their segments. And it, it, they're, they're multiple months into the show. It's just not acceptable. Okay, that is the fastest 15 minutes in professional wrestling. That is our first AEW NXT Wednesday Night Wars episode of Getting Over. You can follow us on Twitter at Getting Over cast you can follow me on twitter at silverstein adam you can follow mr Schilling on twitter at dave underscore Schilling. and dave also has a newsletter that he wants you to subscribe and maybe pay a little money for dave how do people subscribe to that uh go to dave Schilling.substack.com. click a little button it says subscribe you can subscribe for free which i i recommend but you can also pay seven dollars a month and uh you're gonna start getting you know exclusive content you can also pay 70 dollars a year for the entire year and you're technically saving money don't forget it is also the spring which means it's five star review season so thanks for listening to this entire show but head on over to apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to getting over drop us the five star review leave us some good words about why you're excited about the show i want us in that new and noteworthy category on itunes and if you guys get us there maybe i'll do something special like get some giveaway prizes or do some cool stuff there is also going to be a big time interview coming next week on getting over so you want to be subscribed for that but for dave Schilling, i am the silver king adam silverstein thanks for listening to getting over wrestling podcast bye for now